Hello and welcome to this Center for Military Studies report talk, this time with Jeremy Stoes. He's the author of our new report, How High? The Future of European Naval Power and the High-End Challenge. Welcome to you, Jeremy. Hello, thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, it's it's good to have you. Um, let's have a have a look at the report. So, what is the what's the basic premise of the report? Why did the, why did we do the study? Well, we wrote the study because um, we see a change um, in the in international security environment, uh, in particular um, across the board. Uh, we see great power competition and an increasing investment in high-end military capabilities. And this, I find, and we concluded, uh, creates challenges for navies in Europe. Um, so this creates challenges for navies, both large and small. There are very many uh, different navies in Europe and maritime forces, I should say. And this trend towards the high-end uh, creates um, and, and creates uh, challenges, a rise in capability thresholds uh, for European navies to um, conduct complex uh, military operations, both at home as well as abroad. And they have to cross these, these thresholds, both, both in size and capability, uh, to contribute to multi-domain operations in highly contested environments against capable adversaries. So in other words, to not become obsolete, in, in this strategic environment, uh, they have to do more. Um, in short, the, as, the, uh, as the title of the study suggests, uh, great powers uh, have set a bar for navies. Um, um, and the question we try to answer in our study is, uh, how high is that bar? And how can navies cross that? Uh, how can European navies stay in the wake of great powers, but in, in particular also uh, in the wake of the US? Thank you very much. So in the analysis itself, you, you distinguish between, on the one hand, uh, demand side issues and challenges that the navies are facing. And these are sort of uh, stuff that's out there in the environment that they have to navigate uh, in some way. And then on the other hand, you talk about supply side challenges. And these are endogenous or inside out issues that navies are already grappling with, but which are somehow exacerbated by the, uh, by the new sets of external challenges. Can you talk a little bit about what the uh, demand side challenges are from, from your perspective? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so we have uh, identified three sets of uh, challenges, or a set of three challenges. Uh, the first is the rapid development of missiles and sensor technology and the proliferation of long-range precision fires. And the second would be um, the application of disruptive technologies, uh, potentially disruptive technologies such as artificial intelligence autonomous systems, increasingly autonomous systems. And the third would be what follows from this development, uh, the operational challenges. Uh, so that uh, this follows from the strategic competition at sea, and namely the need to prepare for war in high intensity um, environments uh, against powerful opponents. And this of course creates particular pressure um, in the context for, for European naval forces on um, command and control and on intelligence, surveillance, targeting, and reconnaissance. And so on, on, the, on the supply side, uh, what, what do these three challenges mean? And, and what, uh, what, are the, what are the supply side challenges and you, and you see them? And the opportunities perhaps also. So, um, so there are these demand, external demand side challenges. And then 
internal supply side challenges which already exist, but great power competition and the trend towards the high end uh, exacerbate. And uh, we again have three um, prominent challenges for European naval forces. Uh, the first, this is very difficult, uh, is to identify the best balance between high-end and low-end capabilities in order to deter high-end conflict on the one hand, but also to address the risks at the low and lowest end of the intensity spectrum. The second challenge would be, uh, is probably equally vexing, is the need to choose between uh, credible naval presence at home, especially in the European waters, uh, but also being able to project naval power abroad. And this is a difficult balance because you need different set of forces uh, for this. And the third challenge um, is actually a twofold challenge that is linked to a certain extent. It is on the one hand, the lack of specialized personnel uh, to, op um, to effectively operate these fleets, these forces. And on the other hand, the rising cost of technology, of naval technology. Uh, techflation is a term, so the exceeding cost of equipment that uh, reduces the numbers that actually states can buy. Um, so those would be the three uh, supply side challenges for navies across the board. Thank you. Can I get you to talk a little bit more about the, the high-low mix? Um, uh, because this seems to be uh, both driven by operational issues that are particular to the European navies. Uh, there are some uh, kinds of operations that they have to do while they also have to look towards the high end. And on the other hand, it's also a capability issue. So kind of a trade-off between quality and quantity somehow. Yes, absolutely. It is a, it is a trade-off and it will always be a trade-off. So there's no easy answer to this. And it depends on which uh, country and which Navy you're looking at in Europe or in maritime forces, I should say. Um, it has to be clear that uh, maritime forces have to be able to conduct operations across the entire spectrum of naval of, 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 of the intensity spectrum. So from very low end to the very high end, you need different forces for that. Uh, it is, of course, not smart uh, and not prudent to deploy, let's say, an air defense uh, destroyer uh, to, an, uh, to um, control illegal fishing. At the same time, um, you might be, a, be caught in a situation where um, you need or where the, a very benign environment turns hostile very quickly, and then you're again very happy to have that uh, capable asset. Um, so that is a difficult balance uh, that um, states have to um, navigate, um, and there are no easy answers, as I said. The smaller, the smaller, of course, navies get, the more difficult it becomes because then you have fewer platforms and fewer systems that you can deploy. But European navies have to be aware that they will be called upon to really have a credible presence, a greater presence, staying power close to Europe, but also will be called upon in the future to deploy abroad and, let's say, the, the Persian Gulf or even into the Indo-Pacific region. So what follows from this, this um, analysis? What kinds of implications for European Navy chiefs and their staffers, as well as for their political masters? What kinds of, of issues must they face when they develop their navies in, in the future from a, a European Navy perspective? F from that perspective, I would say it's important to understand that navies need rejuvenating. That's something we, we, 
we clearly um, outline and uh, discuss in the study. They must specifically plan for the high end and they must adjust policies and planning accordingly. Importantly, and that's often, often maybe overlooked, they have to clearly state the level of ambition that is important also to, towards uh, the population. What is actually the intent of naval forces? What is their role? Um, international cooperation will be a central um, aspect of naval rejuvenation, uh, especially in turn because if we look at problems such as uh, taxation, increasing cost, they have to will have to bond together. Um, also, because of the complexity of operations, it will be joint multinational forces. Uh, nobody can go uh, can go alone. Um, and that is uh, important both uh, for even the largest navies, so both small and large navies. Um, implications um, there for, for larger navies, it will be easier um, to stay in the wake of the US. Um, you see that in the close cooperation between, let's say, the Royal Navy or the French Navy with the US Navy. Um, for the smaller the navies get, the more they must cooperate. Um, the, and that is that is leads me to the next point, namely um, there are symmetric um, choices that navies could make, but there are also asymmetric choices that navies could make. So developing a balanced fleet um, is a symmetric choice. This is uh, essential to have at least for the larger navies and medium-sized navies. For the small navies. They should look at um, looking at that, look at asymmetric choices. They will be unable or struggle to compete uh, with um, greater powers or greater competitors. Um, so they should examine whether these new joint uh, multinational approaches to warfare allow them um, to explore new avenues of deploying military force, particularly in the European theater, um, because here. Geographical distinctions are dissipating, dissipating and disappearing due to the long-range fires, uh, and and so on. So, small navies or navies in general should also look at this dispersion rather than um, concentration of force, uh, and restructure their fleets accordingly. That means they should acquire a larger number of small, fast, possibly stealthy, possibly unmanned autonomous platforms to complement larger units. So it's important to understand you will need those larger units still to project power abroad and to have those um, larger capabilities from missiles to high energy lasers and such. So you will still need those larger units, but it has to be a better balance. Acquiring new technology, disruptive technology could help um, uh, these smaller forces um, with limited means um, and somewhat uh, Paradoxically, actually, European navies will need to increase their ability to do things alone uh, without the US. But at the same time, they must understand that that's what naval chiefs and political leaders in Europe must understand is that the transatlantic relationship is central to Europe's security and remains central to Europe's security. So they will need to increase. Um, and deepen the relationship with the United States while still being able to do more things alone. Thank you, Jeremy. Um, the report contains a number of lucid and interesting and original observations, as well as takeaways and recommendations. 
the report by Jeremy Sturges, How High the Future of European Naval Power and the High End Challenge, is published by the Center for Military Studies at the University of Copenhagen and can be found at the webpage of the Center for Military Studies. Thank you for now and thank you to you, Jeremy. Thank you. Thank you for having me.